0: This week, we're gonna go over some of the fundamentals needed to be in place to scale a large e-commerce store. So,
1: let's get started.
0: Hello, Ian, how are you? Mark. am Rob, girl. how are you doing? I'm all right, yeah, I'm doing well. So, this is our second uh, try at uh, recording the podcast. Uh, live at the same time, so we'll see how it goes. Um, so yes, yeah, she asked me to tee it up. So basically, we wanted to talk about today. Just I, I kind of wanted to bring it back to the fundamentals. So last week, I think we did a podcast on staying on one KPI at a time. And the reason we did that is because I've I've been spoken to so many people, and they were just kind of like all over the place, doing loads of different things. And I think that that really helped bring everybody down to what to focus on what was important so at least that's what we were trying to do anyway and today we just wanted to have a kind of loose discussion around the fundamentals of what needs to be placed to to make, make an e-commerce site so like going back to some of the, the, the beginning things and talk a little bit to some of the bigger cus- companies that that we mm. worked with or work with and what they have in place and what they don't have in place, and just talk through the, some of those things. So, do you want to get started on that?
1: Yeah. yeah. So I met I met I met this person, you know, he was he was an established business player. And he he said, right, we're gonna launch a DTC brand and we're gonna go and get a VC funding, and um, you know, and I've got it all teed up and and, and you know, and he thought about the he, he was thinking about the products he was selling and the and the market. But what he wasn't thinking about was the fundamental me- metrics, and and I thought, well, let me let me let me ask you some questions because I know certainly that we'd be able to look at that business and work out would this scale or would it not scale, and mm. put it in another way as well. It's 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 what business what e-commerce businesses we would invest in, mm. knowing you know how. So we've seen so many different businesses scale. Which are the ones that we would go? That is a good e-commerce business Um, yeah and and i and i think there's loads of little things that we've jotted down but the fundamental one that i always start with is what's what's their average order value and what's their lifetime customer value um you know that's the that's the fundamental one um so well, yeah, it comes yeah, down to how much
0: they're going to buy a customer for, and how much is a customer worth to them. I mean, if if there's difference between those two numbers, that's the business, isn't it? Effectively,
1: yeah. So, if the average order value is too low, if it's you know if it's thirty pounds and the lifetime customer value is really low, that's a really difficult business to scale. So, if they only come on and, and spend thirty pounds on their, on their order and don't come back again, that's going to be really That's interesting because sometimes you might get a really
0: low average order value and a decent lifetime customer value, but it's still low. And on paper, everything works apart from the fact that the people own the traffic channels, they don't work with low average order values. If you've got an average order value lower than a certain amount, it's going to be very difficult to work. So you could have everything else right, but it's because you've got to, sync with the Facebook ads and the Google ads and, you know, even SEO like this, you've got to be able to get a certain amount of value out of a customer in order to make it work. And and the reason for that is, is because if you can't do that, I was thinking about this the other day, like that traffic is worth something to somebody. And if you, even if you're selling like nuts and bolts, that same traffic is probably someone else can probably sell something to that traffic, that same person. And they might be able to sell something at a higher average order value. So essentially they'll 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 put the auction cost out of your reach. So if you've got a very low average order value, it can really hurt if that's what you're trying to well, recruit a, on.
1: Yeah, because if you think about the typical margins, so typical margins in e-commerce are you know at least 50%. So most of them are between fifteen and 80 percent. That's yeah. typically what the average margins are. So you know, if you think you're only selling something for thirty pounds and your margins is fifty percent, you know, you 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 low you and you're doing Google shopping. The Google shopping tends to be a minimum cost per acquisition of about ten quid on average, mm. doesn't it? Yeah, maybe so
0: if you're selling sweets or something like that, you still, you know, it's very rare to get in a customer acquisition of like two pounds, for example. But you might do your margin calculator sheet and say, "Oh, I need to get two pounds," and it's like, well.
1: Very rarely have we ever seen that. Yeah. And so, so so if you've got a low average order value um, and, a, and, a, and a low margin, you know, you're it's generally harder. But the thing that trumps all, thing that the thing that makes it everything so much easier, and that you can save a low average order value, low margin business, and you can still scale, the thing that really trumps it all is the lifetime customer value. So if you've got a low average order value business, but amazing lifetime customer value, it's fine. Like it mm. trumps all, so the life and customer value is so, so, so important. And that means how many times in a 12 month period do they buy? So mm. take the contact lens business, take a contact lens industry. You know, the contact lenses are low average order value, 12, 12 quid, 12 to 15 pounds, um, low margin, but, amazing lifetime customer value um, and and so thing that's is
0: you know we talk about content lenses as the lifetime customer value of business a lot but you neither you and I would invest in content lenses because it's so such a competitive competitive market now isn't it so it's like you, know, you sometimes you get businesses that are have great fundamentals but they are destroyed by competition so you know that lifetime value gets pushed down pushed down pushed down by competitors who basically reduce so what you're looking for is something that you can have a lifetime customer value and have a moat around so once some, someone actually buys something from you they like what they bought and they want to Then they pretty much can only get it from you or they can get something from you we
1: were talking about the the you know the other bits around around the stage that they're buying so you were talking about this mark so the stage that they're buying, what's their understanding of, you know, do they know who you are? Do they know they need the product? You know, just, just talk a bit about that, because that's quite interesting.
0: Yeah. Um, and whilst I'm getting, can you get, why don't you get your headphones? Because there's a little bit of another noise coming up now. Um, so it's actually okay if you're not talking and you talk, there's like a, a bit of a buzz. Um, so... Like if you're selling a product, like a, a lot of people I've talked to, they've got a great product, and they know, and they say, oh, if people just see it, they buy it. Now the difficulty with that is, is that they have to, they have to, they have to see it to to buy it. So therefore, they don't search for it because they don't know they need it, and if they don't know they need it, they don't look for it. So therefore, you're then limited to something where you're creating a market for it. So you having to create the market, you having to create the need, and then you're having to sell a product into it. So that becomes very difficult. And there are notable exceptions to that rule when people have come in with a new product, like the iPhone, for example. You know, it was a product that people didn't know they need until they started using it. And they thought, oh my God, this is amazing. But, you know, a lot of the time we haven't got Apple's marketing budgets and Apple's reputation and Apple's platform to stand on. And we've got something that people... Need but they don't know they need. It's very difficult to to get that, to get it out there because we have to build that. So it's much better if we have something that people know they want and we have it. And you know, in an ideal world, they can only get that from us because that makes you know makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? it makes it makes a lot of sense oh, to you know. And so the ideal world would be something that people know they need, something we've got that no one else has got, and something that they want to buy over and over again. So so that and something we can get for a decent margin. So that, that's the holy grail,
1: isn't it? Like I'll just carry on. So what I'm saying yeah. is that's falling into the notion, are you selling other people's brands? You're, are you selling products that are unique to you, that they can't buy anywhere else? Or are you selling products that they can buy from multiple places? And that's the fundamental. And the business is that if you're selling other people's products, or you're selling products they can buy in in lots of places online. Um, the fundamental thing that those businesses get right is they really understand and have implemented a strong reason for them to buy from you mm. over the competition, and that's absolutely key. And I and I honestly, it's no it's no lie. But when we meet a customer who wants to scale. Um, a product you know their business their e-commerce business when they're selling other people's products I honestly think we will spend six months with them banging this question over their head continually in Mm. every single uh, session in any part of our framework will always come back to this is you have not yet addressed the reasons why they should buy from you and And I think that's because it's a very hard
0: question to answer and it's a question that people don't want to have to answer
1: Yeah, but when if you actually force people to sit in a room, which I did last week, a week, two weeks ago, I did it with a a a big brand. Well, they're doing about six million, um, and it was a sporting area, so they're selling sports goods online, and everyone's selling the same product, and I forced them to come up with some reasons. Let's talk about it now, and we came up with like five, which were just amazing amazing fundamental like you know massively better returns policy because they realized that if people did return them they returned them within the first like three days and then they didn't return them again after that but they were Mm. but people who bought these products were really really anxious let's call it tennis rackets you're Mm. buying a tennis racket online the biggest anxiety you have is what happens if i don't like this tennis racket can i send it back Mm. But if I so so that so they did a 90 day free exchange, no quibbles, mm. and that was their promise. And but if people did send the tennis record back, they did it within the first on average, they did it, they did it within the first three days mm. and they didn't send it back. So if you do a 90 day or a 60 day or 180 days, it doesn't make any difference because yeah. they're going to send it back, they're going to send it back within the first call it week. So that was <laughs> that was.
0: Yeah. I also often have a conversation with someone and I'll go, what's your return policy? And I go gone officially on the, on the website. It's like, we have a one day returns policy. And if you want to return it, you get shot. And then I say, well, what happens if you actually do return it? And they go, Oh, well, we always honor returns, no matter how long it is, we always look after people. And it's like, well, that's the, that's the wrong way around. You know, you want to, if you're having a really good returns policy, you're looking after people, you want to actually state it and say that's what you do because for the people that don't use it, yeah. Um, it's like having an insurance. It's like having an insurance policy. You don't tell anybody about,
1: anybody about, isn't it? And then once you've once you've identified that, I mean, in some cases, the returns policy in some businesses is the biggest anxiety, and that's mm. another point actually that that all the businesses that scale really well they know what the biggest anxiety is when they're buying that product online. So, for the tennis rackets example, the biggest anxiety is. What happens if I don't like the feel of it when I'm playing mm. with it? Mm. If it's clothing, the biggest anxiety is what happens if it doesn't fit me and I need to send it back. Yeah, it's like, so they've really understood that, and then once they've understood it, they've 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 visualized that and they've made that part of part of their all of their marketing. So if if that this ninety day no quibble exchange promise on tennis rackets doesn't just go hidden in the copy. On the product page, which it is right now, in this particular example, it's going to come on the home page, on the header, on the product page, here, here, and here, on the shopping basket page, right next to the product item in the basket, and at the bottom. And it's going to go on all the emails, all the remarketing emails. It's going to be there, and it's going to go on the ads, too, because we know the biggest problem of buying tennis equipment online is that they're, mm. they're worried about. You can also give it end. a
0: name. You can also give it a name. Like you remember with um, the guy who sold Sonos stuff, he had a returns policy and he actually called it something like the Listen Better Promise or something like that. So you actually brand it as something as well. You could say it's the it's the your the best tennis racket promise or something like that. You know, it's like uh, try till you're happy or something. You, you give it a brand name and then they say well what's that that sounds right because my biggest anxiety is getting a tennis racket hitting with it a few times and thinking this is not the right, right racket for me so if i guarantee that i'll get you the racket racket of your dreams or your money back or something like that like the, your dream you know you give it a name you brand it or something and you call it that so you you actually think well what's the biggest anxiety i'll then have a guarantee that completely heads meets that anxiety head on and takes all the risk off the customer and now suddenly, I'm, I'm able to say, yeah, the, the, your best tennis racket of your life, or, or or your money back, or something like that. Like the, um, you know, like um, some, you know, that that's what they, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. So like, if it was understand. golf, it could be like better the your, uh, a longer drive with your with your driver or your or
1: your money back. Or if know? if yeah, if in a tennis example, they actually said that they would guarantee. That they would get ten percent more serves, first serves in. Mm. You know, they would guarantee that. Yeah, um, and if they did because that's just a fancy way of saying if you don't like it, you can change. Yeah, it. that's a
0: great way to say because it, like, it's like the first serve promise. Then you can have like something branded as the first serve promise. And if you don't get, if you don't increase your first serve rate with the, your new racket, and, you can return know, it. And then the days. next,
1: and then the next breath. The MD, and this is a question they've pondered for 10 years and hadn't really thought about it. The next breath, he says, oh, yeah, we'll also do that if you um, if you buy a tennis racket off us, we'll give you half price off all of the, um, you know, the handle, the, uh, what's it bloody called, the grit Accessories, grips, grips stuff. Yeah. Which are like, you know, the consumables. You do half price off for life. Wow. Yeah. Um, and it's like all these things started to come out. Oh, and the other thing they said... Oh yeah, we'll do we'll do trading. So when you're buying, we'll do a guaranteed trade back. So when you buy, if you buy tennis rackets for your kids, um, and they're going through training, you know, and they obviously need bigger, better, you know, as they grow, we'll guarantee a trade value back. We're the only company that will guarantee to buy the tennis racket back off you for a guaranteed price Mm. in X amount of years, and you can put it against a new one. Mm. So all these things came out that are just like wow. That's amazing. But they hadn't thought about the question because they'd fallen into the trap of think of thinking that they had to convince people to buy that product. People already knew what products they wanted. So the value the, the goal for them was to because you're selling other people's products, they often mm. come to the site knowing what they want to buy. Yeah. In in some cases. Um, and the, the goal where you sit in that journey is that tennis racket guy. He's got to he's got to be impartial. He's got to come across as I am the I am the champion of tennis players. I love mm-hmm. tennis players. My goal is to cut through the dross. And I'm gonna I'm going I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give you head and added asses marketing blurb. I'm gonna give you what the tennis pro of the tennis club says because I trust him, I'm going to pull, that's what I'm So I'm going to go, you don't need to worry about that. You know, these two rackets that come up, one's 100 quid, one's 200 quid, they're exactly the same. Mm. There's no difference. It's just a string colour. So that that's that, it's that impartial, that's where you sit on that play. But then it's about getting them to buy from you, not getting them to buy that particular tennis racket.
0: Yeah, so it's taken all the risk there is from buying that racket. So they've got all the options they've got. If you buy it from this place, you've reduced the risk so much that it's the obvious choice to buy from them. So if you're selling other people's products, you've got to answer that question is why someone should buy from you. And a lot of people, when they first started working with me, I get them to ask a questionnaire, and I say, well, why why people should buy from you? And they often put, oh, we're a great family business, and we've got great customer service. And... Often, often, you know, it's it's like it, that is their substitute for the answer to the USB question. But you go and look at their website and there's no evidence that they've got custom service or they're family friendly or, or anything like that. So it's kind of like ask yourself what you're putting in that place at the moment for your USP and is that actually good enough? Is that something that if you are totally honest with yourself is good enough because often it's probably not because it's a difficult conversation to have with yourself. Now, obviously if you're selling your own brand products, your unique selling point is that they can only get them from you. So therefore you have to convince them to buy your products over someone else's and therefore it's more about the product. Um, But if you're selling other people's products, it's more about your your system to get them that product in their hands and their, their experience with it.
1: And if, you, if it's your own brand, if it's your own products, then if it's a lifestyle one, the businesses that scale really well are the ones that add desirability. So they know that if it's a high ticket fashion piece, you know, that's an average order value of 500 pounds or, you know, it, it's all about desirability. And the, and the, the brands that have done really well have really understand that it, understood that it's about desirability and and if it's a problem solving rational one, um, it's about convincibility. And, yeah. and sometimes you get a bit of both, you know. But it's certainly it's either convincibility and desirability, and they're the ones that they do really well. And so, photography
0: can be can be something that can be a USP. You can just have literally the best photography in your niche, and that means you win you win the the war because you know like you look at these homeware companies and i was looking at one today and i was looking at a few different ones and really the ones that stand out the ones that are doing 20 million they have just got really good image images and really good collections together and that's why they win over and over because it just like people they want to buy a chair they want to buy a chair that looks amazing in a in an in a, in an amazing room and they feel like if they just get a chair it'll turn their house into that that look And so it comes down to the, the aspiration you can create with the photography. So, you know, that could be a USB. It could be just, we are just the best at photograph, photographing Oak stools for our niche. And that's what people
1: want. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the benefits of selling your own products are of course, your margin should be higher and you should have some, you know, greater customer loyalty. Um, and you know, the rewards are probably slightly bigger at the end because you have a business that you can, that you can sell. But, but you know, it's a very, very different strategy if you're selling mm-hmm. other people's products versus your own. And that's truly understanding that. Um, I think the other, the other element that's absolutely key and, and, all, and all the businesses that have really scaled that we've seen over the last 20 years... Is is that they've, they've really understood the maths, they've really understood understood that ROAS, you know, mm. what was the what was the cost of recruiting a customer and what was the value of that customer over a lifetime? And they pushed hard. Mm. And I think some of the businesses now that are really big were probably they embraced that that understanding much earlier. So I know, I mean, we were talking, we've got, we've got, we had a couple of businesses selling um clothing to children, like kids' clothing, like for baby, toddler mm. clothing. And and there was one brand, oh, what they're called, and they're massive, they're everywhere. And like, they, they, is it Igu? Um, I can't remember. But there's one, they're doing about 100 million now. And they're everywhere. And, you know, I, I, a couple of times, I've sat with the customer, clients who were selling baby clothes, and they're saying, well, we started our brand at the same time as these... These ones, but so why did this? Why did this? Why is this a hundred million pound business, and this is still a two, three million pound business? You know what was the difference? Well, the the product was the same, very very similar. The photography was very similar. Everything looked similar. Warranty, returns, guarantee, everything the same. The difference was that this big brand, ten years ago, pulled the traffic lever. And they they really understood the return on ad spend and the effect on lifetime customer value, and they just pulled that really hard, and um, that consequently has meant that they've created this big um, this big audience. Um, I, am I? Can you people not hear me? No, it's fine. Okay. Apparently, so, there's a question.
0: Really? There's a question for the listeners, the live listeners. Whoa.
1: I don't know where but there is. Is it our father? Is it Derek? <laughs> Probably. Do you want me? To, yeah. Well, no, do, no, it's
0: fine. Keep going.
1: Okay, I don't know so what the question is. The, the other, the other element of I've seen successful businesses is that they've all, all the successful e-commerce businesses seem to create an audience around them, and an audience like a like a moat. So, like a like a like a herd, and I, I look at I look at some some of the famous homeware businesses here. You know, they they very early on realised that if they grew their email database, they would grow their revenue. And I remember having a lot of conversations with you about that. And we we would look at a business and say, this is an email business, and uh, your email revenue was really poor. So it was about building um, a really big audience around them. Um, and you know, I can Mark. You're not engaged with me. You, Sorry, I was at, just trying to look
0: at the question. You look. You, come on. I'm here. You not You can't normally tell when I'm not looking at you because I'm just no. like usually walking around no. the house.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So they built. They built an audience, and the yeah. audience was the bank, and that's the protective moat. And I know that that certain businesses did that did really really well. they, they mm. pulled the traffic lever. Because they knew that in some cases, and I think probably 10, 15 years ago, you could you could really pull the, the traffic lever and it would work well, I still think there's certain
0: people that can pull the traffic lever now. And I was thinking like if you look at some of the customers some of the big big people have gone huge, like Jim's Gyms, Gymshark went huge during the the free Instagram kind of like the, the stage, as did our Azos and all those kind of people. And then you know, you have um, through COVID, some of the homeware companies went massive. And if you look at some of the, you know, some of the homeware companies we we're working with, they went from like 100,000 a year to like 2 million. But some of them came out of COVID doing 11 million. And the difference the difference was, was that certain people got that this was a big opportunity and that their, that their machine was working. They could They could recruit a customer way, way cheaper than it was worth to the the customer's worth to them. And they just realized they got a money printing machine and they just put money in the beginning and they printed money at the end. And really the the companies that grew the fastest were the ones that recognized that opportunity, that recognized that that wasn't necessarily gonna be around forever. And the ones that just jumped both feet into that and just went for it really, really hard. Like look at like like Gymshark and Azos and those people, you know, there was a period where Instagram was free. Instagram traffic was free. They realized that they could kind of basically print money from free Instagram and just get loads and loads of, loads of business from it. And that's what they did. That just grew massively as hard as they could during that period. And some people are doing it now with TikTok because TikTok's giving free traffic to certain people and it works for certain audiences and things like that. And people are growing. So it's like, if you do find yourself in a position where you've got an opportunity to grow, it's, and you want to be, you grow big. Cause some people don't, some people just want to build a lifestyle business and that's fine, but don't scale the, don't scale the money to where you feel comfortable. You know, like that's what a lot of people make mistakes. So they might go, well, I feel like five thousand pounds a month or five thousand dollars a month about
1: budget. You're you are
0: know, talking about spend. I feel like that's about Pay. what I'm really I'm, I'm willing to spend, and it seems like a bit much. You know, like it's it's like if you actually want to grow and you can get more stock and you can go and your, your ROAS is high. You know, you should be pushing that up until the point when um, the business is happy. What makes the business happy? What scale does the business want to be if that's what you're trying to build? You know, sure, if you want to build a lifestyle business, but you need to realize, you need to make that decision. Say, no, I'm not building this business for the sake of the business growing because I'm building a lifestyle business and I want to live in Devon and I don't want to have to go back to my job and all that kind of stuff, and that's fine. But, you know, if, if, you, if you are looking at these huge, huge businesses and going, why didn't I grow? Why didn't I get to 20 million and I'm only doing two? The answer to that is probably but you didn't understand your numbers and you didn't understand that you're sitting on the same opportunities as them. And that, that, that these positive ROAS numbers that you were seeing would be ex- massively expandable, bigger than what you ever thought possible.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I know I had a conversation this week with a, with a company and there's this like DIY hobbyist stuff. So it's like model making and, um, you know, and asked them the question around the ROAS, and he, I said, "What's your what's your return on ad spend?" She said, "Oh, it's about 17. I was like, "What? Like, wow!" And it's like, so straight away, you, you you know, you don't you don't bother doing anything else on the website in terms of optimizing, trying to get average order value, add to basket stats up. You just go, "Let's pull that, mm. let's pull that ROAS." So, what's the minimum really it should be to be profitable and comfortable? So maybe it's maybe it's eight right eight and that and that's what you do and then and then you do this and then you optimize the site and you push it again and mm. i think that that it, the businesses that really really scaled understood that yeah because if he's getting that, a 17 roas yeah. you might
0: think well that's what the business does a 17 roas yeah. but in 2 years time that 17 roas might have gone by which stage you're going to be wanting to be sitting on a huge email list and saying well i know all the customers in the market now i've recruited all of them pretty much i know all the hobbyists so therefore, now I don't have to rely on traffic because I've got the biggest email list. I've got a platform. i build built a Facebook group around you're, you're it. I'm attracting new a, people.
1: You're not mm. selling a product. You're, selling, you're buying a customer. That's what you're doing. Mm. You know, and that's, that's what you've got to think about it. So these, and then it just gets easier and easier and easier because you know, that, the business before that I was saying, it was you know, £2 million selling kids' clothing versus the £100 million selling kids' clothing. It's so much harder for that £2 million business mm. because the £100 million one has got a massive audience, got a huge mailing list. You know, they launch a new product. And I bet you the founder,
0: I bet the founder isn't, isn't running it anymore because at £100 million, yeah. you can bring in a, a CEO, a marketing director, a product buyer, a procurement staff, and you can go. You'll probably go. Well, to be honest, guys, I'm not. I'm not good at running a hundred million dollar business. I'm. I'm good at running, you know, five million dollar business. So I'm just going to step out of the way. And by the way, if you want me, I'll be on the beach. Well, to be honest, these We're people going- that build these businesses, they never go to the beach. Like me, they can no. never switch off. We're
1: well, obviously doing. You know, the, the, that's an extreme example, but I've seen many examples when it's like the difference between one million and 10 million. one million, and ten million. You know, there was they were sat on the same opportunity five years ago, and one business just decided to be more aggressive with their recruitment budget, mm. and they, they and they went for it, and then they built their customer database, and now their mailing list is now two hundred thousand, and you know, and yours is only twenty thousand, mm. and so if they send an email at the weekend with a new product launch, they're going to do, you know, hundred thousand pounds of revenue, and you're going to do ten. So it just it gets easier, It gets a lot easier. So I've got to go in about seven minutes. But there was a question on
0: the podcast somewhere where was we were talking about. He's saying that he doesn't want to discount all the time, or doesn't don't people get bored with discounts? And um, you know how do you kind of price that in about discounting? And I think the answer to that would be that. Yes, discount is boring if it's done on its own, but offer architecture is not. So a lot of the things I've been trying to get the people to do across in the two groups, one, one in Australia and uh, Canada and then one in the UK, is trying to create creative offers, trying to create something. It's a bit like when you kind of brainstormed Ian around the tennis racket, like why should people buy from us? So the offers need to be creative as well so that you come up with the thing that actually makes people buy. At the end of the day, you're trying to increase the average order, increase the the add to basket rate with an offer to increase the conversion rate to make people buy. So that's all you're trying to do. Um, And there's so many different types of offers. And there's so many different ways of removing the risk from the customer that it's not always about discounting. There's always like we've done crazy offers with different people. Like once we gave away a free holiday with every offer. For one person, because the person, the people doing the offers, they knew that people on average went got took two people.
1: Well, let me let me give you let me give you an example of actually what happened. And so for this tennis tennis racket company, the, you know, the the prices are fixed. Like the the, the manufacturers, you know, all of the tennis rackets that you cannot change the price. It it was all fixed. Um, so we couldn't do discounts. We can't in that example. Other businesses we have successfully done discounts. Let's not lie. You know, it's one of our it's one of our little levers that we do try and pull in the right way. But you have to add value before you can do it. But in this example of tennis rackets, we can't do discounts. So what you know, what can we do? Well, we can add free things that go with the tennis racket. So we can say you get a free tennis racket cover case. That, you know, and actually that's a, that's a, that could be time bound so if you buy this week you're going to get this it, it, it's the same with the Argos just... remember when we
0: looked at Argos in America and they, they, they were selling Argos cookers and they had to sell Argos cookers for a certain way and you looked at all the different deals and it was like this one was giving me a free fridge this one's giving me a free oven it's like it was just like it was the bundle that went with it that, that, that was the, the way they did the offer they couldn't discount so it was interesting to see how they put the offer architecture together yeah. so you know, it's, it, you You do need
1: a reason to buy today. You do need them to, people to think. Especially that. because, sorry to do the example again of the tennis racket, but what happens mm-hmm. with the tennis racket is you go into the tennis racket shop and you're looking at this particular tennis racket, you like it, and, and then you go, well, I wonder if I can get it cheaper in the next mm-hmm. tennis racket shop, which is, I know it's, it's only five miles away, I'm going to go and drive there. This happens online now. And when they get to that, that other store, if it was the same price or if it was slightly expensive than the one they just left five miles ago, they'll they'll probably buy it from there. Mm. Anyway, because they think, oh, it's only a five or more, I'll get it now. Or it's the same price, I'll get it now. Or I'll try and get it cheaper. So you, so you don't want that to happen. You want them to buy from the first tennis racket shop that they went to because you know they're going to buy it. So you have to make them buy it today. You have to give them a reason to do so and yeah. that's what really and that obviously in that, in that example it's it's obviously price yeah, yeah. but it's also today's price and it's like today, prices are updated yeah. daily
0: today's price you know it's 20% well, that's lower what we're than doing. normal we're price doing the yeah.
1: what we're doing the three tiered yeah we're doing the three tiered pricing we're saying you know RRP price normal price today's price mm. and it's the same the today's price is what's happening right now yeah but we're giving that impression and you could say pricing
0: now. will change tomorrow and they were like well will it go down or will it go up no. it's, it's basically, it's, you've got to, I mean, the thing is, is a lot of the time with this kind of stuff is like, we don't always know the right answers because what we do is we know where to test and we split test. So we're always split testing, those of different things. And then we find little split tests where we go, well, that always works. So we, we'll stick that on the product page that always split tests. Work. But there's, there's, there's hundreds of split tests that we're running all the time. And often we're wrong. We'll try something and we go well that, that didn't work by did the network but that would give us a bit more information about the customer it's like well moving that there should have increased conversion but it didn't okay well, why is that we've added some friction by mistake so so why did that happen and that's when it gets interesting because I almost like what you're actually looking for in split tests is it's not something that's kind of like just better or just worse it's like something that's 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 way better or way worse because you you've you've uncovered, Something about your customer avatar that you didn't know
1: before. Yeah. And remember with conversion optimization, you're not trying to get the person to buy who doesn't want to buy. You know, the person who comes in ba- and comes on your homepage and bounces off. You're not, you're trying to get the people that almost bought to buy. So the ones that did everything that the buyers did except buy, you know, they navigated through the site four or five times. They added to basket. They, they were on the site for nine minutes, you know. But there's something something stopped them buying. Mm. Some anxiety they had. Some feeling that stopped them. Well, can I get it cheaper? Can I get it faster? What if I don't like it? You know. Do I need it? So you, it's it's just it's the almost buyers that you're really focusing on.
0: Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we've got we got to finish it there. Thank you very much for doing it live. We need to get our text sorted out. Get
1: more prepared next time and you'll give me a notice that you're doing it. So there I am with my headphones on about to record the podcasts. And then you say, oh, we're doing it live. We're going to do it live now.
0: (laughs) Anyway, have a good day and I'll speak to you later and pick up that report. Let let me know if you haven't got the report. And and, and let me know. Cool. I will.
1: Thank you very much. Bye.